Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. My name is Rebecca. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team. The other contributors are Alessandro Maniscalco and Sydney. We come together to analyze the DC films released by Warner Brothers Studios. You can find all of us on Twitter, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this episode, we are going to discuss scene 23 of Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins. This is the scene where Diana gives a piece of her mind to the British generals. And it's honestly one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. I know it's not an action-packed scene, but emotionally it carries a lot of weight. And for me, I just thrive on that moment when she pushes Steve aside and comes forward and just lets that general have it. To me, that's like just as heroic of a moment as any of her later stuff in No Man's Land or other places. I agree. I think this is a scene when we really get to see Gal Gadot really shine in her performance. I think she she puts in a really great performance in the scene. Mm-hmm. I agree. So um, first of all, let's talk about some of the overarching ideas of the scene or what this scene kind of does on the broad scale. So with respect to themes, I think this definitely touches on the theme of leadership that we've talked about before. And we've mentioned contrast, so how this movie really uses contrast as one of its mechanisms for getting its point across. Earlier in the movie, we saw Antiope, and we got to know Antiope and her leadership style, and we saw her ride out on this horse, you know, leading her soldiers from the front and putting herself in danger. And now we can contrast that with these British generals who are in the safety and the poshness of London, and they have their desks and their office, and they can go sit down, like, full of themselves behind their desk. And it's just the complete opposite of Antiope riding that horse on the beach. Yeah, and Antiope is out in it. She's in the elements. She rides the horse on the beach, and she, you know, she gets dirty and sandy. And, yeah, she's down in the sand. And, yep. <laughs> and these generals are in their really nice, clean uniforms with their uh, medals on. So uh, there's a, there's even a, a physical difference. Yeah. So I think it, it's really a commentary on leadership style, and Diana has seen a much more personal, a much more brave and courageous leadership style, and she is just offended by the, the quote-unquote leaders that she sees here. So that's definitely a bigger kind of meaning, a bigger theme that's going across this scene, and I think it's really effective too. Absolutely. Uh, and then there's definitely the character development. Like you mentioned Gal Gadot, her performance as an actress in this scene. But also for the character of Diana, it really is revealing to us. Like we're getting to know Diana throughout this whole movie. We're seeing what kind of a character she is, what kind of conviction she has and bravery she has. And we're seeing like her skill set and her powers. But even more so, we're seeing like what's truly in her core. And to me, this scene is very important for that because it shows Diana can step forward when she sees an injustice and she can be like, no, I'm going to say my mind. I'm going to talk to him and then I'm going to do something like I'm going to do something either to tell him off right now. That's doing something. I'm not going to like sit back and bite my tongue. And then right after this scene, she wants to go do something. So that connects into the theme of doing something that really runs throughout this whole movie. And I think her willingness to want to do something and want to be in action, it hi- it highlights her ability to be a hero and that she's not afraid to do those things, not afraid to put herself in the battle. And I think that that is something that's a little bit different here with these generals. They talk a good game, but they don't, they don't really uh, prove it. They don't walk the walk. They just talk the talk. So I think that this shows a lot about uh, Diana's heroism, that she's, she's willing to go out there and, and fight, even if it might put her at risk yeah absolutely so that moment 
you know, it ties into a lot of themes and character development. And that's what I like, too. It's not just a good scene for its own sake. It's a scene that really fits into a larger work of art. So I give it a lot of credit for that. It's probably, you know, a main reason why it's one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, and um, I know that we've talked on the podcast. We we've, we've discussed and analyzed the the theme of wanting to do something, mm-hmm. and um, I, I really like that about Diana. That it's something that Steve and Diana have in common that they want to do something. And even though Diana, I think in this scene, gets really frustrated because she feels like she can't. She wants to, but she can't. And even though Steve acts like maybe he doesn't want to. In the end, it's revealed that he he has a plan. He is going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, at first, it seems like he's just trying to calm her down and like usher her out of the room, but it's really he sees the bigger picture. He knows these people. He knows how things work. So he realizes we actually need to exit right now, but we will do something else. We we will find the right way to make a difference. They both want to do something, but Steve understands because he's. Uh, someone from man's world that he knows he has to sort of go around the system in order to do it. And Diana doesn't have that experience yet that she understands how that system works. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's get into some of the other details and events of the scene, like what builds us up to that moment. So they have uh, Dr. Maru's notebook that Steve, you know, has taken. So this is obviously an important object in the movie that we've seen where it came from. And we see what Steve had to go through to get it to this point. And now he has gotten it into the hands of the the people that can do something, the people that matter. And they aren't quite sure what to make of it. So that's kind of interesting right there, too. Like, they are a little bit out of their element. And Diana actually has some skills that she can offer, which is interesting right there. Like, the woman who normally would not be allowed in this kind of deliberation... She happens to be the only one who can read both of these languages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're obscure languages at that. It's something that she would be very uh, unique in that room of men for her to understand and be able to read. And she would also be very essential to what they needed, which I think is uh, really important that they undermine her um, throughout most of the scene. And then she becomes very important because she can help them uh, figure out what's in the notebook and and what the the plans are. Mm -hmm. And those plans are very time sensitive. So Steve says, you know, this intelligence that I have, it's time sensitive. And again, we have this Um, the word time being associated with Steve, which once you start to notice it, which we've done in this podcast, you start to see it a lot throughout the whole movie, time, 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 and then at the very end, the big kind of payoff for that motif. Um, So that happens here as well. And then we also get a little payoff of the secretary issue. Um, We had the secretary joke earlier with Etta Candy, and here they're kind of wondering, like, who is this woman who can recognize Ottoman and Sumerian? And Steve says, this is my secretary. She's a very good secretary. So a nice callback in terms of that humor as well. Yeah, and that's that's actually, to me, when I, when I hear secretary referenced with Wonder Woman, I think of All-Star Comics number 13 when Wonder Woman was actually offered the position of justice, the, the Justice Society secretary. So back in those days in the comics, Wonder Woman was just regulated uh, to be the secretary of the Justice Society. She didn't actually go out and fight. So I think that this scene actually plays off of that, that they just saw her as a secretary. They just saw her as uh, some woman who could assist Steve Trevor. They didn't expect her to be more than that. But she ends up in the scene being able to contribute. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually read a book 
that was recommended from your podcast on Supergirl Radio. It come up. It came up that you mentioned the Secret History of Wonder Woman um, by Jill Lepore. It's a really good book um, about William Moulton Marston and stuff. And also, if people are interested, they don't want to read that book, but they want to hear some more, learn some more about William Moulton Marston. They could watch the movie Press Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. I think it's called. Yes. Um, with Luke Evans. Um, that's also a pretty good movie. We just watched it a couple weeks ago. But especially in the book, I remember this issue of the secretary, and uh, there was kind of like differing accounts about what happened. Some people said that Gardner Fox, who was writing the Justice Society, he was kind of a chauvinist, and he took Wonder Woman and he just put her in a subservient role and didn't want her to be in his stories. Other people say that William Moulton Marston like requested that Wonder Woman not be fully in the Justice Society because William Moulton Marston did not trust that team and those writers to like write the character of wonder woman. So it could be, you know, one of two things about why she got sidelined that way. And I don't think there was a definitive answer about exactly which one was the one that happened. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of speculation, <laughs> speculation <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem like it, no matter what it was, uh, wonder woman at that time period in the comics was, uh, just considered to be a secretary. Yeah. And there's like, the great line, I mean, to me, it's a, a great line, not because it's great, but just I like how effective it is where the generals don't want to hear from this woman, where they're kind of like, who is this? You know, like, like why is she even speaking right now? It's sort of like this mosquito that's buzzing around me and like, get this mosquito <laughs> out of the way or something like that. Um, but then there's another man who says, like, oh, well, maybe we should let her talk. If, if she can read this journal, you know, we should hear what she has to say. And so that's kind of interesting, like, some of the men were just willing to push her out, even if she had valuable skills. And then some of them were like, well, I guess we should let her speak if she can help us like decipher what's going on. So that's interesting to see that dynamic. Um, but it really sets us up to kind of hate the main general, the, the big pompous guy. So it's a good setup for the payoff in a moment. But I've heard a critique of this scene where some feminists have critiqued this and said that Diana should not have to, in this scene get a man to allow her to speak. But I don't really buy that critique because I just take this as an artifact of the era. Like if this is the 19 teens, it's realistic that a man would have to like speak up to allow a woman to speak. She's not just gonna be able to do it on her own. Um, so for me, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a sexist situation and it's a sexist era, but the movie I don't think is sexist for like writing the scene this way. No, I don't either. And I think that it's not so much that she's a woman needing a man to tell her when it's okay for her to speak. I think it's more the fact that I, I see it as Diana being a civilian who has come mm. into this military meeting and she is someone who maybe they don't want to be in on these you know, highly classified meetings and uh, be part of planning what they're going to do next. You know, mm -hmm. that this this would be something that would be confidential and they wouldn't want that to be given, that information given to someone who is not a member of the military. So I think it's more about her not being uh, in the service uh, in, instead of just her being a woman. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, shout out to uh, Colonel Darnell. He, <laughs> he's the man who speaks up to his superior and, and says, hey, mm -hmm. maybe we should let her speak, you know, let her see what she can do. Um, because he even though it is a man saying, hey, maybe we should listen to her, 
he is someone who sees the value in what she knows and the value in her um, experience and her intelligence to uh, let her uh, help them. And so I think that that's actually, I don't think it's sexist. I think it's really smart. Yeah. And Patty Jenkins in the art and making of the film book, she said, quote, it was such a sexist time. We really get to feel how absurd and unfair this world is to women in the face of an obviously capable woman, end quote. So yeah, I think Patty Jenkins viewed it the same way that we're kind of viewing it, which is where, yeah, from our perspective, we can see it's absurd to not let this person speak. So obviously they should let her speak and it's good that they did let her. Yeah, because it gave them information they didn't have otherwise. So pretty smart. So they find out that Dr. Maru is working on um, a new kind of gas, like poison gas that uses hydrogen as the base. And that's a big problem because as one of the, the military men says, the gas masks will be useless against hydrogen. So these gas masks are able to like filter out some heavier gases, but I'm guessing that hydrogen is one that would just go right through the filter because the filter is not designed to be able to take that gas out. So that definitely would be a big problem. Yeah, I, I will buy any explanation of that. I don't understand how any of that works, but uh, I'll, I'll go with it, uh, whatever the movie uh, tells me that it mm-hmm. does. And they did show us in the prior scene that this new gas seems to be working. They showed a scene where it actually like crumples up a gas mask and then starts burning. Now, I really do not understand the chemistry or the physics of why the mask would crumple and burn. To me, what would actually happen is just the poison would penetrate the gas mask and kill the person inside. I don't know what would physically make it crumple. But I understand as filmmakers, they need to like show visually. Like We need to show visually that this is dangerous and that it's going to destroy gas masks. So they did that. That's the one where I think there's not a very good scientific explanation for it. <laughs> it's visually effective. Yes, exactly. And so you just have to take that and run with it. It's a, it is a movie, so they have to just go with stuff visually sometimes. So um, Steve, you know, hears like, wow, this is going to be a very dangerous poison gas. This is like a game changer. Um, so that motivates things later, especially to the gala and then like the gas that's used on the city of Veld and stuff later. So this is the setup for that. But Steve has the idea of, well, let's burn it to the ground. Like, let's destroy this, like, before they can use it. This is kind of some foreshadowing because at the end of the the movie, they are going to actually burn the the stocks, you know, of some of this gas that's in the plane and stuff. And Steve is going to be the one to burn it up and destroy it. So he kind of does get to do his plan, but in a very different way than he expected at the very end of the movie. Yeah, that's... That's the sad, tragic story of Steve Trevor is that he he has the ideas of how to make things better, but it's going to cost him his life. Hmm. Uh, And then that leads us up to, so we get the general saying his kind of, his stuff that is not very, uh, I don't know, how would you put this? It's basically callous, merciless. He just says, you know, yeah, we're going to try to end the war. We're going to try to go for this armistice. This gas is out there. People might die, but that's what soldiers do. Like, he basically just doesn't seem to care about the actual lives at risk. He's just thinking from his, you know, top perch about, like, you know, his larger goal, and he's ignoring the actual lives and the humanity down below. Yeah, he, he sees uh, the, the army and the people in the army as just uh, numbers, doesn't see them as people. And so that whole kind of way that he's handling himself, way that he's talking about the the issue, that's what really sets Diana off. And so we get to this confrontation scene that we talked about being so effective um, for the character. And she really, 
you know, she's not going to quote unquote keep her place, right? She doesn't, first of all, she doesn't know that she's supposed to be subservient and quiet and, <laughs> you know, that she doesn't belong here. She's like, that's, that's your thing. That's not my thing. Like I'll be wherever I want to be. And I like how they blocked the scene because they physically have her kind of like push her way and step forward. So it physically, it brought the same meaning to it that it also has emotionally. Yeah, I think it's really neat the way that they play this scene where Diana and Steve are sort of fighting each other. Diana is trying to come towards the general and Steve is trying to push her back. And they're they're sort of slapping hands and fighting each other mm-hmm. uh, because Steve understands the protocol that's happening here. He understands that this this man is probably his superior and, he, and he's not supposed to mouth off at him. And Diana, like you said, she doesn't care. She doesn't know that that's not her place so that she's butting heads heads with Steve and, and how to handle this situation. So I like that there's a little scuffle there between them. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's echoed later um, with Ludendorff at the gala uh, because there, again, like Steve physically tries to stop and does stop Diana from like confronting Ludendorff. And so when they have that little uh, physical altercation later, it's uh, an echo or we're reminded of this time earlier. Mm. So it's kind of a continual back and forth of Steve and Diana kind of like deciding how they're going to play out the situation and who's going to have the upper hand yeah and so this we we mentioned how there's really the the contrast between antiope and this general and you know it's not just the mascara and man's world i think it's also women and men and this movie it has gotten me thinking about things in real life because in in the history the real history of world war one it was basically a war led by men on all sides Like, these rooms were literally, they were full of all men making the decisions, going into war, deciding how the war is going to be fought, ending the war. And this movie, to me, raises the question of what would have been different in those rooms if you would have just had one woman or if you would have had multiple women? How would it have changed the conversations? Would it have changed some of the decisions? Would there have been more humanity involved? Like, would certain tragedies have been avoided by having perspectives from another gender besides just the men uh and to me that's like a very legitimate question how much of our history could have been different if we actually would have had more equal representation instead of literally one gender kind of running the show for everybody it's definitely a good question uh because i i think that you know men and women bring different things to the table so uh it, it is a good thing to uh speculate and hypothesize about Yeah, and, you know, we can't, you know, rerun history and see, but we can look now to, like, current day countries that are having more women leaders, we can look to see, like, okay, like, does that seem to change any of the way that they do business or the way that they conduct themselves on the international stage, Uh, any of that sort of thing? We can at least look at that in the present and going forward. Um, But to me, this, you know, if you have a woman like Diana that can actually raise her voice and make a point, if you had women like that, in a lot of these rooms, uh, halls of leadership, um, being in the room where it happens, it might make lots of differences, both subtle and profound. Yeah, most definitely. So yeah, I think that's the the main stuff in the scene. Um, The last thing I was just going to highlight was, um, we mentioned how the general just doesn't really care about the dying. You know, he just, the soldier's dying, it's what they do. But Diana, when she calls him out and said, like, you know, you're here behind your desk, um, To me, that really, the unspoken thing there is Antiope, um, because that's still a pretty fresh wound. Like, that that only happened a few days ago for Diana, that she saw Antiope die on the battlefield. And so, generals being here in the safety, you know, that's got to just be really pulling at her 
because she was just seeing Antiope fall on the battlefield. That was her general. So to me, that's not just uh, subtext, but it really hits home in each line that Diana says there. Yeah, I like the writing and the performances in this scene because, like you said, it's not specifically said. Nobody, you know, forces that to us that this scene and this moment with Diana is about Antiope. Nobody references her name, but you know as an audience member that that is probably why she's so irritated Mm -hmm. um, because she has seen a different way uh, of a leader, of a general leading her people. So I I think that is a really well-done scene in terms of being able to communicate that without having to explicitly state what's going on in Diana's head. And I think uh, we we talked uh, briefly at the the beginning of this episode about how Gaul really shines in this moment. And I think the, the very end of this interaction between Diana and the general where she is, I mean, she's given the general the business Mm -hmm. and she is, she is, straight up shaming them she says you should be ashamed and the second one is a little funny Mm -hmm. like you know she kind of says it off the cuff and 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 sort of unexpected a second time and you know she says you you should be ashamed and as an audience member i kind of laugh at that one Mm -hmm. but at the end she does raise her voice and she says you should all be ashamed Mm -hmm. and i i think that one really impacts me because she is serious Mm -hmm. the second one is a little funny but the last one is she is dead serious and she really means what she says. And so I think that she, you know, she is so passionately admonishing them about what she believes. She believes this guy is a coward. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that is really effective in terms of trying to make her point come across. I don't know if they would listen to her, but uh, she definitely put them in their places in that moment. All right, those are our thoughts on scene 23 of Wonder Woman. In the next episode, Sydney and I are going to be discussing the very next scene where that passion and that emotion is carried right out into the hallway and the stairway. And we'll have Steve telling Diana that they actually are going to go anyway. Um, but thank you all for listening. Thank you for your support. And thanks to the Suicide Squadcast and Man of Steel Answers podcast for your inspiration and your content related to the DCEU.